Welcome to Cookie and the Monster, day three. <laughs> At some point, we'll stop counting, but we're not through the first week yet. Appreciate you joining us. 419-227-9393, 1-888-894-ESPN. That's 888-894-3776. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at 931thefan. Uh, obviously, 931thefan.com and our free 931thefan app. All ways that you can be a part of and participate in the show. And we appreciate your listenership. Garrett, I, I love to typically start a program with like a little bit of a rant about whatever topic. Yesterday happened to be my, my cell phone and the disastrous. <laughs> and by the way, all of the apps still aren't on my oh, phone. Oh, you don't have them yet. Not, not completely there. We got a couple with the little arrow uh, with the cloud above it, but it, it's trying. And and gave some thought, wrote down some notes today. And the bottom line is I, I started this show on Monday and the Reds were 10 games over 500. They're now eight games over 500. And... Last night, they managed to put themselves in a position where the only thing that was just completely unacceptable was to lose a game in the wild card and a game and a half in the division because the Brewers had a doubleheader, and they did exactly that. So that that, that just kind of ruined my mood a little bit. Um, I, I just I'm, I am not ready to be the guy that because he talks into a microphone, he curses the teams that he roots for, and I think I'm headed that direction. No, yeah, it's 100% going to happen that you're uh... – you're cursing your squads here, but uh, there's a difference between believing in your guys and being an idiot. If <laughs> if me sitting on the couch last night when they went to Amir Garrett in that situation and said, well, that's not going to go well. If I know that, David Bell should know that. Yeah. And it feels like David Bell might not know that. It feels like he might not know that Amir Garrett is not a very good major league pitcher right now. Well, and, and that the bottom line is, if you're David Bell, and without without going deeply into the numbers, I mean, when he goes to the bullpen, he is going to continually choose the lesser of evils. He is not right. going to choose a person in which he has a remarkably high level of confidence in right. any circumstance in that bullpen. And, in and any situation. Not, in, I mean, it's not like a 2 nothing lead in the fourth or a 2-2 two to two game in the fourth is one that you, know, you automatically need to put in the W column. It's just... As as Ron Williams said yesterday, right here on these airwaves, they just can't afford to give away too many more games that are winnable. Um, you know, the Tribe game on on Monday doesn't look winnable because of the final score. But you know, I said it. You know, you you're going up there to play a team that's that's got a a four A right yeah <laughs> lineup. They, they have no interest and, in winning. and and they they're using a bullpen day out of they they want two innings out of their starter to hopefully make it competitive, and you lose nine three, and then to get another early lead last night and watch it go away it, it, it honestly what it did was make it kind of easy for me to say you know what i am i am a little bit interested in the fact that the number one and the number two picks in the nba draft are going to play each other in a summer league game now that might make me <laughs> one of nine people uh in in you know lima land area that thought that was interesting and i watched about 15 minutes of that and it wasn't that interesting for very long although i could get into the basketball parts of it and i really 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 do like Jalen green um, he's a very good player, but I, I found myself by nine oh five, nine forty, ish at the, the between that time frame last night, feeling like you know I don't have a sports thing right now. I don't, there's not much for me. No, and there there wasn't a whole lot. I, I flipped back and forth between the Reds and the Indians, um, and it just it, you can you can either not get a hit from the second inning through the seventh inning or you can give up a run from your bullpen arm it, it can't be both and the reds managed to do both last night uh the indians 
Uh, and also during that Reds game, they put up a graphic that was like, "Hey, the Reds since July first are nine and three in one run games." Which, if you would have asked anybody, they wouldn't have said, oh, "I bet they're, I bet they're uh, nine and three. And you would have thought they were three and nine or one and eleven in twelve run one run games at that point. But they've done a really good job at one run games, and it didn't go well last night. But it's because Amir Garrett sucks. And then <laughs> the Indians were in a situation in extra innings where they. Uh, I like the the runner starting second base in extra innings because I think it's simple to score a run, and I'm blown away by the amount of folks who can't get a run across the board Well, it, in it, extra innings. It, it felt to me when that rule change went into effect and they did that, it felt to me like we were just trying to make baseball into the college football overtime. Yes. Like everybody's <laughs> going to score, the game's going to last forever. Well, and it, like every once in a while, the Indians, like I get notifications on my phone, like, hey, three to three, they're going to the 10th. And then after the tenth, it's like seven to five. Like, oh, okay, well, that got interesting there in that one inning. You know, but but obviously, before they make a decision like that, they've got statistical data and they've they, they've got a reason to feel like it's it's not gonna you know necessarily lengthen the game, uh, so to speak. But and again, I I'm neither here nor there on that issue. Do I do I like when the game in overtime doesn't look like the game the rest of the time? Not a huge fan of that. But I am a fan of whatever happens. I, I, I guess I shouldn't say I'm a fan. I can understand the concept behind an overtime situation where you add to the excitement level and you hopefully yeah. hasten an ending to the game. And and I don't, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Well, and that's I, I mentioned when they first did it uh, that really no other sport plays their overtime, extra time, whatever, the exact same as they do the first full game like baseball is the one that they go okay we've done this for nine innings we don't have a winner let's keep on doing it until we do and so they made a change which i think during the pandemic shortened season that you got 60 games in 65 days or whatever you can't have a game go to the 19th inning yeah like I, I, I used to work basketball camp with a guy years ago and if any of the ONU camp guys that worked camp with us in the last 30 years are, are listening to this if anybody's possible listening they'll love this story because they've heard it before but Mel Pasut was a was a basketball coach, and, and he's still actually coaching in, in Southeast Ohio. Um, was a law school graduate at Northern, and when he was in law school at Northern, he worked as as a student assistant in the, like the early '80s uh, at ONU. But and he hated baseball, and he ha- he hated the sport. And and he said, I, "I'm I'm done. I'm like this is simple. In baseball, if it's tied after nine innings, just who has the most hits, they win. If it's if if the hits it's- are tied." then who has the most errors? They lose. If the errors are tied and the hits are tied and the score is tied, flip a damn coin. (laughs) (laughs) What? He said, I'm tired of hearing how much it takes out of bullpens. You want to save bullpen arms? Flip a coin. Right. You you want you want you want to have stop having four hour marathons? Flip a coin. Well, and like there are some people, and and I'm uh, probably a hypocrite on this. Like I remember watching the six overtime Syracuse UConn Big East tournament game with. Uh, you know, Kemba Walker. I, I, I remember and, falling asleep four times in the game, never being over when I woke <laughs> like, up. Yeah. Like I started watching it overtime, and two and a half hours later, here I am. Like so, sometimes it can be fun. But if you're at the park, I have to imagine being there at the fifteenth inning is probably not all that much fun because you haven't been able to buy a beer since yesterday. <laughs> like you, you're sitting there. Okay, am I buying a bag of peanuts that I'm going to eat about a quarter of these, and am I going to take them home and ever eat them again? No, you're starving, but everybody went home, so the only thing you can get is like biscuits and gravy, and you're like, am I going to eat biscuits and gravy at 1 o'clock in the morning during the 15th inning? No. Put a runner on second base and <laughs> start it in the 10th. Like, get me out of here. So if we are uh, essentially 
watching through our fingers as we cover our eyes if we're a Reds fan, anticipating that, that I predicted a 1-5 and five run through this next six-game stretch that was so important before they'll write the ship enough to make us think we have reason for optimism right after that before we head into a series with Milwaukee in late August. I talked about all that yesterday. If it's true that the Indians are, are, are kind of playing out the string um, in, in the last couple minutes we've got here, is there... And, and it's harder for me because I'm not, you know, the, the the Browns fan that most of our listeners are. But is, is there some level of excitement that we're roughly 75 hours <laughs> away from Browns football in some form? I, I, I think so. And I think you also have to, like, pump the brakes on that. That no matter what happens on Saturday or next Sunday or whatever, it, it does not matter. So whether they're awful or they're the 85 bears it does not matter no matter what it is not important if baker mayfield throws eight interceptions in two preseason games it does not matter but the question that i have about it is regardless because we are what we are in today's society will we undeniably by monday morning be making a complete declaration on the urban meyer era in jacksonville and and how it's going based on what we see saturday night absolutely unequivocally yes yes (laughs) We will. I, I love it. We will have our workout in, and it will be from jumping to conclusions, because yeah. it will. Yes, a hundred percent. That somebody will either say, "Oh my gosh, the Jacksonville Jaguars are going to win the Super Bowl because the Texans have quarterback problems, the Colts have quarterback problems, and did you see Trevor Lawrence?" Oh my. Or it will be, "This was an abject failure. Can you believe that? Just move the team to London now because he's going to drive away all the fans." Another college coach failed. I and here's my deal with with Urban Meyer. First of all, I I. I'm willing to acknowledge what a phenomenal football coach Urban Meyer is. I am not one of those people who is in either camp a diehard fan or an adject hater right. of Urban Meyer. And it feels to me like people are either one or the other. They they, they don't have a middle right, you ground. Can't split that. I very much do have a middle ground. I can't decide if I want him to succeed in the NFL um, um, because very few have, or if I don't want him to succeed, because then the likelihood is whether he says he ever wants to coach again or not, he'll probably end up back on a college campus destroying everybody within reach wherever he's coaching. Yeah, uh, I think you're right in that that's one scary for Ohio State Because it won't be Ohio State. (laughs) Right, he's not going to go, like, he's not going to be like, oh, you know what, I've always wanted to be the head coach at Akron. That's that's not going to happen. It's going to be... Georgia, Florida, USC, Oklahoma, Texas. I see. Washington, I, I can, some see. big blue. Bo- he's going to be the head coach at Oregon, and they're going to win fourteen national championships. And he's going to be eighty-five years old. See, I could, I could see, and like in a in a fantasy world, I could see it not working well for him, and he and he and the guy at Oklahoma just trading jobs. Yeah, it's <laughs> entirely possible. He replaces Ed Orgeron at LSU, and they realize that maybe having a guy with a voice like a cement mixer with you threw some cayenne pepper in it, maybe not being the greatest thing you could possibly do. And you go from you know I'm going to go Tigers, go Tigers, go Tigers to Urban Meyer, who you know will never say. Anything other than you know, oh, there's the best person I've ever been around. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I right. Could, if he goes back to a, college, it's scary for everybody. Another discussion uh, that we could have as well. So, 
we've hit a little on the Reds, a little on the Browns. We've got a lot to get to today. We are excited about talking with Tim Goodwin, Marion local head football coach, Brad Lupin for St. Henry as well. And I'm not sure if that's an equal time requirement that we have to have contractually no, for those uh, two programs. Yeah. Uh, but we'll, we'll we'll get to both of them today. We'll and uh, we're gonna have a really, I think, an interesting visit in in the second hour uh, with a former Ohio State football player who's who's got an interesting project that he's gonna share with us. I want to make sure you try to stick around for that. So this is our first Don Jenkins Jeweler timeout. And, and this is Cookie and the Monster right here on Sports Radio 93.1 The Fan. Welcome back in to Cookie and the Monster. John Cook, Garrett Seawright. I'm, I'm never going to call you Monster. I'm just going to use fine. your name in the title. You're going to be Garrett. I've but... been, uh, there have been a lot of times someone has shouted at me, Oh my God, you're a monster. So uh, it's, it's fair. Hey, listen. If you were to use it, you you willingly decided to take on that 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 moniker as a part of the show title, and I'm just happy that that we we didn't have to have a, a prolonged argument over that title or becoming fatty in the coach, as you so eloquently suggested <laughs> that we might consider a few weeks back. That yeah. one I would have been re- really uncomfortable with well, yeah. with every show. Open. Yeah, there was like, okay, do we have ideas? Well, there's Cookie and the Monster. John has thought Cookie and the Monster. Garrett, what do you have? Fatty in the coach. <laughs> They're like. I think we're going to go with Cookie and the Monster on that one. I think, yeah, if, we've, if we're down to options A and B. I just I couldn't open a show with that every day. I couldn't do it every Good afternoon. Every Welcome to Fatty of the Coach on Addy Free Little Fan. Like, okay, all right, that feels, that doesn't feel great. <laughs> oh, what does feel great is um, when I, when I, review over the past several months this the ongoing auditions at Jeopardy I did not know that Joe Buck was going to be in yes. that group and that ties into our our poll questions for today on Twitter yeah so our first poll question is is Joe Buck a good Jeopardy host and people hate Joe Buck and I'm kind of like I enjoy the hate I don't I don't I have nothing Joe Buck I don't know that I like him but I, I definitely don't despise him the way that just Twitter flat out hates Joe Buck that he hates everyone's favorite team He's not any good. He's stupid. Well, 61% say no. <laughs> Joe Buck is not a good Jeopardy host. I will be 100% honest with you. I haven't watched him host Jeopardy. He might be phenomenal. I don't know. But 61% say no. No, he's not. Also, today, Jeopardy said officially that Mike Richards is going to be the new Alex Trebek. And Mayim Bialik, who is from the Big Bang Theory, oh, she's yeah. going to host the the like specials and the primetime the college editions and whatever. So she was be, Blossom, right? Yes. She was Blossom. So there's going to be two. So there's going to be two Jeopardy hosts. But Joe Buck and Aaron Rodgers will not be one of them. Well, two things. Number one, I I am more than comfortable with the notion that it takes two people to replace Alex Trebek. Have no problem embracing that concept whatsoever. Second thing is, I think you're right. People hate Joe Buck, and here's my problem with hating Joe Buck. I can't imagine any human being hating Jack Buck. Why? I would think just strictly on the strength of who your dad was, you'd be a little more popular than Joe Buck appears to be. But I think that's why people hate him because he got his he got to announce NFL games on Fox when he was 25. And I, I've seen so many memes that have said like. Uh, it was a picture of Joe Buck on the Jeopardy set and said, since my dad never had this job, I'm never, I'm not going to get it. <laughs> like, oh, man. Oh, man. Uh, okay, so, well, that's fair, I yeah, guess. Yeah, so people don't like Joe Buck. And then we do have a sports question. Uh, should the NFL do a better job enforcing their taunting penalties? Because that is going to be a quote-unquote point of emphasis for NFL officials this year that could lead to even suspensions because of excessive taunting. And so 67% say, say no. They don't, they don't want to see officials officiating 
more taunting penalties. Well, somebody, and, and nobody that I've talked to today or heard on radio or anything else agrees with that decision, but some some group within the league is driving the decision to get back into that as a focus, and I don't know who it is or why it is, whether it's the coaches, whether it's the players, who it is. I'm not a big fan of taunting, but I'm also more than comfortable with the notion that these are adults, grown-up men doing this for a job, and if they... I, I, and I found it a little bit fascinating in the Super Bowl last year when, when Teron Matthew and Tom Brady were face-to-face and going at one another. I thought right. that was kind of cool. Right, or when Antoine Winfield is giving uh, Tyreek Hill the piece, the, the piece right <laughs> in his face. It. Like if, if Tyreek Hill is inherently taunting when he does that. And to get it back, if you're going to dish it out, you got to be able to take it sometimes. And for him to give him the piece right in his face was like, oh, okay, this is, this is pretty funny. Also, I found somebody on... I had uncovered an old clip from Bill Belichick, and it's a minute and 10 seconds long. And it basically says, the NFL says, no more taunting. And this is a video of Bill Belichick in a team meeting. Be like, play with emotion. If you kick somebody's ass, act like you kicked their ass. He's like, because, and he shows clips from two different games. And he's like, do you see this game? We lost this game. We could have won this game. And he's like, this is the first touchdown we played Denver. And do you see 14 guys in the end zone jumping on each other because they're excited because you just won you put all this effort into this you did all this stuff to get here celebrate act like you want to be here it's like if bill belichick is saying taunt people maybe 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 taunting's okay well, it, it's certainly not one of those things that I want to see the league make a point of emphasis that will last until Halloween and then disappear. That's my my take on it anyway. And you can you can vote in those polls at 931thefan on Twitter is where you can do that. And we ask you and encourage you to participate there. I don't know if you hate Joe Buck or not, but it looks like by the results of the poll that two out of every three of you aren't a fan of Joe <laughs> Buck on Jeopardy, at least at a minimum. He's not, not popular on Jeopardy. We are going to be talking with Alan East, or excuse me, Alan East graduate and Marion local head football coach. Coach Tim Goodwin on the other side of this Don Jingis Jeweler timeout. And I am, for one, really, really eager to be on this end of whatever it is that he says that, that takes a shot at me and or Garrett because I think, I think that's a rite of passage. We're in this chair. Look forward to talking to Tim. Um, we're going to be I, – I take our break, and then when we come back from the break, we'll get to Tim right away. And, uh, again, if you want to be a part of the program, 419-227-9393 or 888-894-ESPN right here on Sports Radio 93.1 The Fan. That's one you just need to let breathe a little bit right there. That's a good, that's a good tune. <laughs> like that tune an awful, awful lot. Probably not as well as I like our visit with our next guest. We are absolutely thrilled to welcome on the AmeriFirst Home Mortgage Hotline, Marion Local High School head football coach Tim Goodwin. Uh, coach, I- I'm going to keep it pretty simple out of the shoot here. It's been a- an abbreviated preseason. How have the practices and the scrimmages gone thus far? Well, I mean, there's some spots that, that we're okay at and some spots we're bad at. Um, so, you know, uh, overall, you know, I, I think defensively we're, we're going to hit the ground running pretty decent. Um, offensively, it definitely looks like we're a work in progress. Tim, we've got a, a lot of coach speak from uh, some folks, uh, and I know that you'll just tell me the, the unadulterated truth. Uh, is there any changes to the schedule or, or with everything being accelerated by a week? Uh, does, that, does that change anything for, for you guys? It's interesting you ask that because, uh, you know, coaches, we were reflecting because we even scrimmaged on Friday. And so, uh, you know, we only had one day of full contact on Thursday. And, 
And uh, really, our our thoughts was, you know, we basically learned the same thing that we would have if we had a whole extra week of practice in between there. So um, right now, I'm I'm kind of in favor of it. Did that did that first scrimmage look any different than a normal first scrimmage did? Uh, not really. I mean, like I said, you you get to a point where. You know, even the way you run camp these days, you're going 11 on 11, doing drills and stuff, and and you get to a point where you've went against yourself so much that the the players know the routes, they know the, the you know the blocking schemes and so forth, and you just got to go against someone different to to learn something different. So, uh, you know, we were at that point. Well, well, thankfully, you know, we got we have two scrimmages this year. We had seven on seven, so you know we're we're back to uh, you know doing it the way we know how to do it. Whereas last year, I never did figure out how to do it, and uh, uh, you know it's just a process, and it is every year for us to to figure out what what we're good at, and then build our offense around that. And you know, you try to speed it up with what you know about the players coming back, but they're different people. You know, and it's just a process, and you really can't speed it up. Tim Goodwin joining us on the AmeriFirst Home Mortgage Hotline with the Marion Local Head Football Coach. And in the past, Tim, offensively, you've been semi-diverse. You've gone the shotgun and spread when you had that personnel, and you've been an I-formation team for a long time. What do you feel like you guys do excel at right now on the offensive side that that would maybe um, be your quote-unquote identity as you head into the first week? Well, we're playing Peyton out at quarterback, and, you know, he's the best athlete on our team. So, you know, we're going to do some things to capitalize on that, you know, more than we would maybe some years. So, um, you know, we would always run our quarterback some here or there, uh, but, you know, it's just going to be a part of our base base offense this year. So um, it's just a matter of getting consistent enough in the passing game with both uh, throwing and catching, to be honest with you, um, to – to complement what we can do with our running attack. Yeah, well, you know, luck, luckily, you know, in high school, it's not that big a deal, really. It maybe seemed like it to someone like you, but we got a new team every year, and we got new kids that that are hungry to play, and you know want to have a great senior year or want to break into the varsity lineup. So you know, it's not like we're in the NFL where we got the same core back year after year. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, you have to rely on your seniors, you know, uh, and. At a place like Coldwater or Marion Local, we, every year we have seniors that haven't played yet, and they've stuck it out and they want to play. And uh, you know that's how you that's how you kind of be consistent every year with with that batch of seniors. Tim, who are some guys um, that that maybe haven't played that, that fit that bill that that are going to be uh, maybe some upperclassmen that are going to get their first varsity uh, action that 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 we should know about that we'll hear their names called a lot on the on the PAs there at Marion Local. Well, I mean, I, I can't see the the future and who's going to get called on the PA, but we have a couple couple seniors um, like a Brady Ronabom, a Hudson Rose. Um, you kind of caught me off guard here to actually uh, 
name names, um, you know, uh, a gay blink that, that haven't played a whole lot before this year. Um, you know, and we got, we, we have to rely on those guys to come, come through for us. Tim, are you, are you getting a little softer in your old age? I think old Tim Goodwin would have told me, uh, we're not going to be any good on offense. None of the, everybody's going to have to get their, their pub on defense because offensively we're just not going to be any good. Well, if you would have saw our scrimmage, you, <laughs> I actually have to take the other, other shoes right now, Garrett, and, you know, like maybe sugarcoat it a little bit just to give us a little confidence. <laughs> I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was that bad. It was terrible. That's what I've grown to uh, expect from you, Tim. Uh, th- thank you for giving us some of your time. I, I appreciate you letting us bug you while we're uh, while you're in probably one of your busiest times. So, so thanks for giving us uh, just a couple minutes here to talk about the Flyers. I'm sure we'll be chatting with you down the line. Sounds good. Thanks. You know, Garrett, I, I don't know how to. It, it's so commonly accepted here the way things work at places like Marion Local and Coldwater and 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 I've worked in public education now for god dang I'm 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 starting year 27 my man uh Tim's an administrator he runs a building he's a high school principal uh has been for a considerable length of time his dad did the same thing which I think is one of the most it's one of the coolest stories to to have that but there is a lot on his plate from eight to three an enormous amount on his plate from you know four to seven or or, or whatever the, the practice schedule looks like. It, it's one thing to be really good, and they've been really good. Really good. It's another thing to be insanely consistent, and, and then it's a whole different level for me to listen to a guy year in and year out who, you know, Saban's got his catchphrases and his. I I think. Tim Goodwin probably has done a better job of just making it about the process without saying that uh, of any guy that I've watched do it, and I, I I don't I couldn't be more impressed. Well, I don't know how many coaches we've had on the show that will say, you know, it's not about the X's and O's, it's about the Jimmys and Joes, and the likelihood that in twenty three years they haven't had a bad set of Jimmys and Joes is not is not is not a likely situation, <laughs> and yeah. so to to be good year after year after year and we we talked about it with Chip Hunt yesterday in Coldwater they made the playoffs like 25 straight years I, I, I went to Parkway where we've made the playoffs once <laughs> in, in, in those 25 tw- years twice <laughs> twice including the year everybody made the playoffs like, so it, it is not just this this okay you trot the football you throw the footballs out there and do it they've got a, a process that they go through every year they've got expectations and I, at the same time I, I just said you know so many coaches have said it's not the x's and o's it's the jimmies and joes those ultra successful coaches are the ones who will always say kids reach the expectations you set for them that if you set the expectation that they are you're going to accept nothing less than excellence and greatness etc that they will hit that now I, and I, i've had some real serious conversations with tim goodwin where i'm like hey cut the crap in the the you know midwestern humility what what do you do and he's he says you know we we set the expectation that you're going to be great if you're playing football at marion local high school you're going to be great if you're playing football at Coldwater high school if you're playing basketball at elida high school or lima central catholic high school or lima senior high school you're going to be great at this and those kids 
reach that year after year after well, year. And, and, you know, when he made the statement during the interview, and, and appreciate him, you know, being on with us, but when he made the statement that the, the entitlement issue isn't really one that is as big a deal because of the fact that you've got seniors who haven't gotten to play that are going to remain hungry, and you've got guys that want to make the varsity. And the fact remains that you're still taking 15, 16, and 17-year-old kids, and you are placing upon them, or they are willingly embracing, however you look at it, a mantle that cannot be easy to carry year in right. and year out. And there's been a lot said, but very little documented. And there was a uh, like a, a, a video of some sort about their program when they lost to the state title game. Mm-hmm. I forget, it was a... a I, I think it was a New York Rummer, Times. Sorry. But there... Or Russell, the, it was Russell Athletic. Yeah, Russell Athletic. The, the, the idea uh, that, that kids willingly embrace that and carry it so well and 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 don't really stumble. I mean when you stumble you lose in the state semifinals. That's that's a stumble typically. Right. Them uh, them losing before they made the state finals last year was an utter embarrassment to some of their their fans and their parents and like this is not acceptable. Yes, and 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 so having again having said that I I think there's been a lot said and, and not nearly enough documented about what it is to be a part of a community. Because that that's that that is well, a, that is a community standard that allows those kids to thrive under that type of I don't know if you don't want to call it pressure fine come up with whatever your word is but that right. kind of pressure every year well and when you said you know they the kids have to carry that mantle well the coaches set that expectations their parents set that expectations the people that you know their parents friends that everybody in the community has those same expectations that you know that you have to live up to and you, you're right that you have to carry that mantle but also you have to work really hard to, to to accomplish all that stuff and those kids are exposed to that from birth that you have to work hard <laughs> that living in southern mercer county is never going to be easy it is never going to be cushy it's never going to be fun glamorous like nobody's ever going to retire to south of 29 in mercer county it's just not like you are born there you're bred there and this is what we do we work hard and so it's not that big of a change for maybe some other programs not only in the state but in the area where it's just different where these people work for themselves like the the, i would guess 60 percent, probably higher than that of the kids on mary local's roster their parents either own their own business or are farmers (laughs) so the kids see from from the get-go their parents work really hard, and that's just how it is. Well, and, and again, what what makes it really intriguing to me is Marion Local, on on some level, Marion Local has has kind of overshadowed the fact that those characteristics also are present in Coldwater, right? In Minster, right? Saint in Saint Henry, Henry recovery. before recovery. Yeah. I mean, it it when when you have dominance, and I put that in air quotes a little bit too, to the level that they have, it's one thing to have it; it's another thing to have it in a place where Everybody you're competing with on most Fridays has also won a state title, right? <laughs> or well, or been very very close to winning a state title, and and to to do what they've done to sort of in some ways a little bit create some separation, um, it, it is it's it's a noteworthy accomplishment. But I'm not sure that it's completely explainable. I'm just not. No, and every year when either Coldwater or Marion Local or Fort Recovery or Minster or New Bremen or Versailles or Anna is St. Henry, St. John's is at the state championship game, there is inevitably some newspaper writer from Cleveland, Columbus, Dayton, Toledo, Akron, whatever, and they'll say, well, you guys don't even have a bowling alley in your town. What do you do for fun? <laughs> and they all are about like, we, we play football. We kick your and ass right, on Friday night. Right. We play football and we play basketball and we play baseball. And 
and we have fun. Like that that is our fun. That is what we do. Everybody else is like, we go to the like you don't have a movie theater in y'all's town. Like they basically treat it as if, you know, you're the town from deliverance or some like something else that you can just you drive through maria stein here bing 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 bing, 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 bing. <laughs> like no like that is what they do for fun they play football and then they play basketball and then they play baseball or run track and then when they're not they're thinking about playing football or playing basketball or playing baseball well as i said in the interest of um equal time we, we will be visiting with brad luthman from saint henry at the top of hour number two but as we take our next don jenkins jeweler time out today is a relatively significant day in sports history it is an anniversary of an event that i still don't think gets enough recognition from year to year now while none of us love to live looking backwards this is worth celebrating every year today is a significant anniversary on the sports calendar we're going to be talking about that when we get back from this don jenkins jeweler timeout. this is Cookie and the Monster on Lima Sports Radio 93 won the fan. No, technically, we're monkey free, but we will be after today because Drew's last days today. So then we'll, we'll officially yeah. be monkey free after DC's no longer a part of the, the uh, festivities. That's rude. <laughs> it's your last day. I had to have something right. for you. Uh, we go back a long ways. I've never been rude to you till right now. And that's not even rude. That's that's endearing. It's, it's, that's what that's the term I like. Yeah, the stuff endearing. Garrett says to me on a regular basis. Now that's rude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. Um, making you walk into the building today during a monsoon. I was like, hey, Drew, I don't care that it's raining an inch a minute right now. Get in here. Sort of sideways at the right, time. Right. Sort of <laughs> sideways at the time. You too. would never have guessed you were in Lima, Ohio, at that time. But yes, I'm rude to you, Drew. So I mentioned before the break that uh, today is what I believe is a significant date in in sports history, um, and there are a couple of different reasons why. But I'll focus in on one. I did I did learn today that in 1929, on August 11th, 1929, Babe Ruth became the first Major League Baseball player to hit 500 home runs. Uh, hit his 500th home run off a guy pitched for Cleveland. Interesting. Willis Hudlin, you remember old Willis yeah, that you carried? Yeah, had a, had a hell of a spitball. <laughs> had an 88-mile-an-hour pus-filled fastball. Babe Ruth was great, yes, but those dudes were throwing like 65 miles an hour. Yeah, yeah I heard, I heard, and take it for what it's worth, be a fan, don't be a fan, but Cowherd said one time about, you know, you, you, we have to take into account that Babe Ruth never faced so much as a slider, much less an African-American right. or Hispanic pitcher. Right. Nobody who could throw a split-finger fastball. They were all just 65 miles an hour coming over the heart of the plate, and he was like, okay, well, I'll slap the hell out of this one. But it is worth noting that when he hit his 500th home run in 1929, he went on to finish with 516 for his career. When he finished his career with 516, Rogers Hornsby was second on the career list all-time at that point with 277. Oh, yeah. There's also, like, <laughs> there's these YouTube videos that have gotten to be, like, a series of, you know, like, um, you know, baseball home run kings or whatever, and they will start from, like, 1876. And when Babe Ruth starts going, basically, you can tell when Babe Ruth goes from pitcher to outfielder because the bar graph just grows ridiculously. <laughs> You're like, oh, okay, that's impressive. Yeah, like, he, you know, he when he set the home run record one year, like the previous record was 19 and he hit 48 or something stupid. Like, Oh, okay. Yeah. That's a lot. <laughs> and, the, and, that, lot. and that goes back to something we had said earlier on the program I, I, earlier in the week that it's one of the reasons it's not fun to compare eras. What is always fun is to say there are certain guys that are just so far ahead of their era. And, and it's not that common. There aren't that many, but Babe Ruth was a guy who 
was on a different planet. And, and, and that's, that, that gets me into the anniversary category for today because what I really want to talk about is that, well, mostly because you talked about old yesterday. Old, like old, I feel old. It is the 30th anniversary, August 11th, 1991. John Daly at the ripe old age of 25 years and as the ninth alternate into the tournament, wins the PGA Championship by three strokes and becomes a an, an he became a celebrity over a four day period in which it took eight other alternates not choosing to or being able to be in the field for him to get into the tournament and win the whole thing. And I'm sure he handled that fame well, right? Well, yeah, I'm do- <laughs> I think it's relatively well documented that he didn't necessarily things, handle the fame things well. Things went well for him after that, right? He he's given a couple of really candid interviews about you know what he did. I mean, blowing money all over the place. And but one of the guys at the tournament is it? I got to try to remember this story. This isn't going to be really high quality storytelling here. But uh, one of the guys at that tournament, I think, was struck by lightning. Yeah, there's, I was just reading the Wikipedia and yeah, in the first round, a guy was struck by lightning and killed. So so here here's the rest of that story though. After the tournament was over. Daly took a wad of money and sent to the family to create college funds for his daughters. Wow. Like a chunk of the money that went to that right off the top, like the, the day after he got home from the tournament. He, f- he wanted to find out who the family was, what their story was, and he set up college funds. And I think both of those daughters have gone on to postgraduate degrees. One of them might be a doctor. Uh, but it's it's a really fascinating story, and obviously what makes... John Daly, pretty fascinating as we saw the ups and the downs. We, I did remember seeing him standing, you know, on the fairway and, and having the shakes because he was trying to be dry <laughs> before a tournament and in through a tournament. I actually happened to be the only golf tournament I've ever been to in my life. I went to the Memorial for one day on the first day of the tournament, probably 15 or 18 years ago at this point. Um, Danny Holbrook and I went to the tournament, and Daly is on 18 trying to trying to finish his day reasonably had a bad day i think he took like an 11 Oof. On, Oof. on 18 he 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 missed a putt from about 8 Kirk, feet it wouldn't officially and be in a high state literally like two feet on the other side of the season we didn't ask you about the quarterback the situation what are your thoughts on the battle like as ryan day six. gets closer to making his decision he walked over and reached across the hole stood on one side reached across t- the hole tap and him. tapped it back and it went between his legs and down the hill <laughs> And when he finally got up and down after 11 strokes, he picked the ball up and walked out out off the green, out of the clubhouse, out the back, and then got in his car and left. He, he, he did. That, that was it. <laughs> that was it. He was done for the day. And all of that is is a is a story that's a sad story in some ways. But the reason I brought it up was just the idea that we don't talk very often about a 25 year old unknown guy making it into a field as the ninth alternate and winning the PGA Championship. Pick pick the way you want to go. Talk about his age. Talk about his unknown status. Talk about how a ninth alternate gets into the field. Or talk about the four days of golf that he did. That's all fascinating to me. John Daly won $230,000 when he won the 1991 PGA Championship. Colin Morikawa won the 2021 PGA Championship. He won $1.98 million. <laughs> he almost won $2 million. <laughs> and I'm going to say it's good for John Daly that he didn't win well, $2 million because of what he might have right, done he only, to himself. He only got $230,000, and that's probably a good thing. 
Hour one is in the books. Hour two straight ahead. We're going to talk with Brad Lupin of St. Henry High School on the other side of this Don Jenkins Jeweler timeout. Don't go away. You'll want to be a part of hour two on Cookie and the Monster. Lima Sports Radio, 93.1 The Fan. Hour number two, and welcome in to that Basement Doctor studio. We are presented by Jerry Lewis McDonald's. You can apply at work at mcd.com, and you can work today and get paid tomorrow at Lewis Family McDonald's. Uh, start of hour number two, we said that in the interest of uh, equal time, since we spent some time chatting with Tim Goodwin at Marion Local. This is basically a political race. Okay. You know, everybody's got to have the exact same amount of time. It kind of seems that we... Now, we could have done it a day apart, but... You know, you, you get on the phone, you send some texts, you ask right, you, guys to be on the show, and you wait to see who says yes. Right, and they, they tell you that Wednesday at 5 o'clock works. Well, then I guess we're going to do it Wednesday at 5 o'clock. Wednesday, 5 o'clock. We are on your schedule, and our guest on the uh, AmeriFirst Home Mortgage Hotline is Brad Luton, head football coach at St. Henry High School. Uh, it's here already. I can't believe it. And I, 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 I'm always curious to, to know uh, what people think of a scrimmage that they had four days <laughs> <laughs> to get ready right. for. So we'll we'll start there. Uh, Brad, welcome to the program. How do you think things looked in your first scrimmage? Uh, we're pretty pleased with the way we looked. Um, I think we're pretty senior heavy, pretty uh, experience heavy up front, and I think our offensive and defensive lines kind of showed that in that first scrimmage against Valida. So I don't know that there's a, a, a right or wrong answer to this. When you look at returning players, would you feel more comfortable having a, a, a more returners on the offensive line, or is it more valuable to have a, you know heavy returning group at the skill positions, or is there a preference? Well, the honest answer for many coaches probably I want experience everywhere <laughs> returning. You know, um, after we went one and nine a couple years ago, uh, we had six seniors that year, and we lost a really good class ahead of them. We just knew how hard it was to. Well, actually, this year's seniors were sophomores, you know, to play a bunch of 15-year-olds versus other people of 18-year-olds. Mm-hmm. Um, when New Bremen made a run at it last year and got that ring, I mean, it was on the back of a 17-person senior class. It's just high school football is a lot easier when you're using 18-year-olds versus other 18-year-olds. No, absolutely. Brad Luthman, the St. Henry football coach, joined us on the AmeriFirst Home Mortgage Hotline. But you do return a, a whole big mess of guys that, that got that, that valuable experience. Is, is it still a, a work in progress for some of those guys who only were able to get eight games in last year than maybe the, the 10, 11, or 12 that you, you, you hope for and, and have grown used to? Sure. Um, I mean, it's a work in progress, too, just because it's the second week of August. You know, We're not, we're not trying to peak in August. Um, we're just trying to get better every week and hope by the end of the season when the leaves are falling off the trees, we're playing our best football. Brad, uh, I know I've talked to a, a lot of other uh, coaches here from uh, from the MAC or, or maybe some other guys that have uh, scrimmaged you and things like that. There's a, a lot of uh, talk and a lot of praise for, for uh, some of the guys in your backfield with Harrison Wendell and Owen Leifeld. Uh, uh, how do you evaluate their play, and what can we expect from, from, the, from the running backs this year for the Redskins? Well, Owen's one of our captains. He's been running the ball since he was a sophomore, so this will be his third year doing it. Um, he's put a lot of time into the weight room, our community, uh, really invested into our high school athletes. We've got the Hoying family weight room now, and you can tell he went with a really good strength coach all off season, and he just looks the part. Um, his, we're going to go about as far as him and our offensive line want to carry us. 
Seinfeld, again, is going to be at inside linebacker. Um, we actually have five seniors that will be rotating along the defensive line and then a junior, uh, Adam Tiemann, Clayton Everman, uh, Matt Berkey, Brandon Keller, and Luke Gales. All those guys have played a lot of defensive line football over the last three years. Um, Harrison Wendell's the other inside linebacker. Bennett Gales has been a corner for three years, now going into his third season. And then Jaden Lange is the captain for us that's been going into his third year at safety. Brad, uh, where do you feel like the areas you still gotta gotta make some improvements are, and and where do you think that that area of hey we got to get better in this area, this area, this area? Where, where are those spots that you still feel like before kickoff happens you gotta you gotta get better? Well, I mean we got a lot of areas that need to improve because as talented as my senior class can have the potential to be, I mean their best season so far as juniors were just five and three. Mm-hmm. Um, aforementioned that you know the sophomores are one nine, so they gotta know what it takes and experience pushing anything past that. You know, going from good to great or anything like that. Um, we're looking and opening an outside linebacker, uh, second safety, and a second corner are spots on defense that we're really keeping our eyes on. On offense, uh, just trying to get that offensive line to gel, uh, trying to get them to work together because everybody in our league is so rugged up front and they move around and stem and everything else. It's a lot of work to get it all on the same line. Thanks so much to Brad Lupin, St. Henry High School again for, for being a part of the program. Garrett, I, and maybe this doesn't even need to be said, but you know, I, I'm a lifer around here and for a lot of my life, um, we talked about St. Henry football the way we now talk about Marion local Coldwater. Yeah. Um, there, there, there's, you know, there's been a quote unquote changing of the guard. And I think because there has been at the very, very top consistently at the league, there's this idea maybe that, that St. Henry has fallen off. Uh, and while they, they may have had a year or two that were down by comparison, uh, they don't really need to voluntarily take a back seat to anybody. No, I, absolutely. Uh, they've got just as much history as, as anybody um, in the MAC, um, they've played in state championship games year after year after year, like Marion Local does now, like Coldwater does now. Are they a little bit more removed from that than than they would probably like to be? Sure, but when you run down their their uh, results year after year after year, I mean, last year they're five and three in a shortened season, one and nine in 2019. Yeah, but then nine and three, six and four, eight and four, six and four, six and four, nine and four, nine and four, fourteen and one, fourteen and one, seven and three, eleven and three. They're playing just as many playoff games as, as you know, we talk about Coldwater and Marion Local. Now, has it been, like I said, as recently and as frequent? No, but in the 90s, they were as good as anybody. There are people who believe that, you know, the 1990, I think, one St. Henry team is the, the greatest team in area history. Not the greatest team in small school area I, history. I, I'm not going to argue very loudly <laughs> yeah, against yeah, that was, assertion either. That's right in my that, wheelhouse. That they they were great. And, and I... I really appreciate i think what it takes uh in a program like that i mean every every guy that walks into the job that brad luthman has no matter if it's one guy in 20 years if it's two guys over a five-year period first of all you're going to walk into a a job that that regardless of who's been there tim beckman right (laughs) is is the measuring stick and is still around and and is, is there um and now you're you're in a league where the, the top of the league has been pretty well established with, with Coldwater and Marion Local. Um, and those are, as particularly Marion Local and St. Henry, I mean, again, there, there, is, no, there is no greater rivalry locally than, than Marion Local-St. Henry, historically speaking. 
And I've got to believe when we talked about Marion Locals kids carrying the mantle of the pressure of what it is, there's got to be a certain level of pressure on St. Henry's kids to, we, we want to get that back. Oh, you know? uh, you, your, your baseball field is named after a guy who was an all-star for the Cincinnati Reds. You, uh, on the scoreboard, there are jerseys of guys who played in the NFL not that long ago, uh, there are uh, there is absolutely expectations there, and there is that. Hey, we've got a. Can we be the class to get us back to the fourteen and ones, the fifteen and O's, the sixteen and O's? Now that can we be the class that that wins the state championship? Th- that weighs on you just as much as you have to be the class to win. You know the next state championship. Well, I, I, I've said this before. Everybody, every school, all over, every kid that plays a sport at some point goes to bed at night dreaming about, man, if we could just win a state title. And oh. St. Henry, when you go to bed at night, it's not if we could just win a state title. It's we we do win state titles, and it's time to do it again. Well, and, and they're, I mean, they win state titles in, in volleyball and in basketball and in baseball and in football. And, and you mentioned, you know, you go to bed. Uh, the movie Friday Night Lights came out when I was a freshman in high school, and it came out as, like, football season was starting. And I remember watching that video, that movie and there's a line in there where they're out drinking and partying or whatever on a Friday night and the one guy's like hey we got to stop this we got to win state and another kid says we're going to get we're we're going to we're going to get laid we're going to win state or we're going to we're going to win state but not tonight so so <laughs> yeah. right, so so let's go out we're going to we're going to drink we're going to get laid we're going to win state but not tonight so <laughs> let's go do this do and, what and, we do yeah and it's something that's on your mind at uh, a lot of those communities well, it's right around the corner. The start is right around the corner for St. Henry and for everybody, and uh, we look forward to that, that that calendar kicking up and getting things cranked out, and we can start getting teams on our airwaves. And uh, Wish Coach Luthman and St. Henry the best of luck as they get ready to start their season as we do all of our area teams. Uh, we are due for another Don Jenkins Jeweler timeout, and we're going to do a little football at 5.15 when we return. Several different topics on the uh, docket possibly to, to, to kick around for football at 5.15. Uh, maybe a little more talk on taunting my favorite topic in all of football <laughs> cookie and the monster right here on lima sports radio 93 one the fan and service master welcomes you to football at 515 hard work determination and sportsmanship create opportunities to be your best like bear bryant said it's not the will to win but it's the will to prepare to win that makes a difference and that's why at service master they don't cut corners they clean them one of our poll questions up at 931 the fan on twitter deals with taunting, and of course, we all want to see the NFL crack down on taunting. Oh, wait, no, we don't. 59% in our poll say no. They would not like to see the NFL do a better job of enforcing their taunting penalties. So that leads me to the question, John, of what does count as taunting? What, Where is the line between celebrating and, and taunting? Well, it's the reason why I think that the, the rule is largely unenforceable to a to a consistent standard if you want to emphasize the right, rule because it's a judgment call right it's a, entirely subjective yep, of, it's totally subjective view uh i think circumstances oftentimes dictate it uh I, again i am as old school as old school gets by today's standard and i don't mm-hmm. like trash talk and i don't like uh, i don't like a ton of 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 celebration that brings attention to the person the individual i think celebrating mm-hmm. with your teammates is great I, and I typically would not have a problem with, with t- rules that, that try to limit taunting, but I think they belong in the high school ranks, yeah. uh, probably in the college ranks. I don't think there's much of a place for it in the professional ranks, largely because, again, at that level it can get extremely subjective. 
And it can also be extremely costly in a really, really important or, or big time in a game when I don't know that it's fair to say in a game that's so emotionally driven right. that, well, you just need to control your emotions in that moment. I, I just don't know that that's fair. Right, and that's always said by people who don't have to control their emotions in that in that moment. <laughs> in it's, that moment. it's the same thing as, like, I always used to... Uh, in football now, coaches are always you got to keep your head on a swivel. You got to keep your head on a swivel. Well, that's said by someone who doesn't have to keep their head on a swivel. That's right. inherently saying, "Look out for you, so you don't get just blown up while you're chasing down a tackler or something." Now, uh, my 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 assumption will be that there will be videos if they haven't already been. They will be videos sent that say this is oh, what's acceptable yeah, and I'm this sure, is what isn't. I'm sure Antoine Winfield's piece right into Tyreek Hill's face in the Super Bowl is in the video of like. Please don't do this. You will be penalized for this, and I don't want to hear about it afterwards. Don't don't do this. But I'm 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 more of a guy that like I don't like when a guy makes a really hard hit and then stands straddling a guy and stare it down at him. That I'm not a big fan. So of. like, are you? Would you be against the like a dunk and somebody's on the floor and you your your mean mug and it's see, standing over? See him? that that that's hard for me to comment on because I'm such a basketball purist and a snob sometimes that it's it's not even fair like my son who's who's 18 and i love him you'd say guy dad those guys are having fun and i'm like well the guy that's down there's not having fun right, correct he's you know? not having but I, I always take the like the i guess the the viewpoint of you know the the old saying that history is written by the winners if i <laughs> if i if i beat you i get to do pretty much whatever i want and you got to deal with it because i beat you if it was a one-on-one and it's the same thing with like pitchers and hitters in baseball if i hit a ball 480 feet into center field i get to react however i damn well please because i i just i, I whipped your ass yeah. and, and so i'm 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 sure there is something on the that's way past you know the the verge of I, i'm not saying you know nothing is taunting i'm sure something well, out here, there here's the I deal though think of as is, soon as baseball writes the damn rules i'll say let's enforce well, them i'm tired right. of the unwritten, unwritten rules right. of baseball correct i'm tired of that well, <laughs> and, and there there really aren't any of those in football which is nice and it's generally basically a hey you're all grown men if you can't handle somebody for instance and it's just the most recent example giving you the peace sign after that's your signature move when you're scoring a touchdown by yourself if you can't handle that that says a hell of a lot more about you than the guy giving the peace sign well and i'm not sure that he would want to have a a flag thrown on that while it's happening to him i don't think he would want a flag to be thrown right and you're 100 because in by college rules they could take that touchdown off the board and and take it away because he was given the piece. Like, is that taunting? I don't think it is. I think that's celebrating a, a bit too early, but but I think it's celebrating. 30 seconds or less. Hard Knocks and the Dallas Cowboys, your level of interest? Very low. <laughs> Very low. I, I, I'm not generally a Hard Knocks watcher anyway. Um, and there's just- That would be a good poll question. Or, do you watch Hard Knocks? Yeah. Yeah, I think that'd be, a, that'd be an interesting poll question. Put it on the board, DC. Um, <laughs> there's always some moment that you know it, it encapsulates the entire nation of like, oh, here's Chad Johnson getting cut or whatever. And it sounds like yesterday's video was it that Dak Prescott basically saying, "I'm going to take the world down," and then ten seconds later he's tearing his shoulder up. It, is that? But I, yeah, I, I, I have virtually no interest. And I don't haven't gotten to watch a lot of Hard Knocks because I haven't had HBO right. a lot in, in my HBO. time and I haven't wanted to pay for it and I've got HBO Max for free for a while so I'm trying to check it out but 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 my Wi-Fi sucks so that's not always easy <laughs> but here's the deal I w- would be a fan of the program I love behind the scenes things I think I could really get into it and I know a lot of guys around here watch a ton of it and I probably mm-hmm. will watch more of it going forward but what I chuckle about is that the way that sports talk doing what we do the number of 
programming hours during the day that are spent breaking it down. Like they don't oh, break yeah. they break down the show. The, oh, I thought it was interesting that that they you know that McCarthy was really concerned about Dak's workload and then he ends up hurt. But I thought it was really in poor taste and it showed that he's out of touch with his team for Mike McCarthy to show Austin Powers as a point right. of reference and Mojo Mo- like that. That's just that just really is a bad look for Mike Mike McCarthy. Why is that a bad? Who cares? Yeah, I, it, who cares? And if it is a bad look, I, I guess we know about it. Now, there's no question about it. Yeah, I, I don't. I, some stuff like I, I like more documentary stuff after the fact that people can be a little more retrospective than in the moment of, um, you know, Jerry Jones putting salt on his McGriddle. Um, that got a lot of attention today. It, it I gotta did, say, because I'm sure, like, God, I, I will gobble up a McGriddle. It don't, it doesn't need any more salt, <laughs> Jerry. Jerry, I don't, I don't know what your taste buds are doing to you, but it, it doesn't need any more salt. I promise you. Oh. Well, uh, speaking of documentaries, we do have a, a guest on the other side of this break. We're really excited to, to be meeting or talking with Kirk Barton, former Ohio State University offensive lineman. We'll talk a little Buckeye football, but get into some conversation about an upcoming documentary, if you will, about the, the, the shutdown of the Big Ten football season, which one year ago today, it was announced that there would not be a football season in the Big Ten. So we're going to talk to Kirk Barton, former OSU Buckeye, on the other side of this Don Jenkins Jeweler Timeout. You're listening to Cookie and the Monster on Lima Sports Radio 93.1 The Fan. Cookie and the Monster right here on Lima Sports Radio 93.1 The Fan. Welcome into the Basement Doctor Studio. Uh, it is uh, my great pleasure to introduce our next guest on the AmeriFirst Home Mortgage Hotline. We are pleased to welcome in Kirk Barton, former Ohio State University offensive lineman, NFL draftee, former Ohio State University graduate assistant, now owner of BuckeyeScoop.com. Uh, if you haven't visited BuckeyeScoop.com in a while, uh, the website is all things Buckeye football, yeah. articles, podcasts, uh, YouTube photo galleries, videos. YouTube videos. Yeah, I uh, need to check it out, but we were thrilled. I was tickled to death when Garrett told me he was able to to uh, uh, line up a chance to talk with Kirk, not only about Ohio State football, but about the, the project that we'll hopefully get into a little bit uh, today, um, covering the the events that led to the cancellation, in air right. quotes. That will not be revisited. <laughs> cancellation of the Big Ten football season that was so adamantly and, at least in theory, definitively declared one year ago today, uh, before Ohio State ends up playing for the right. national championship. It's, it's crazy how that works. A year ago today, year. they say, you know, hey, the, the season's canceled, and then two days later, the season, it will not be revisited, and somehow, somewhere, Ohio State still played for the national championship in January. It's crazy how that works. So we got, we're going to welcome in Kirk Barton and go to the AmeriFirst Home Mortgage Hotline, and I'll start uh, by asking, Kirk, from, from what we've read and heard, it sounds like uh, the Bucks are trying to find a way to get their five best offensive linemen on the field, regardless of of keeping anybody in a in a true position. I just like to get your take on on whether or not that is is in the best interest of the football team, or or is there more in your opinion? Is it better to maybe to try to keep people in a natural spot? I think the only way you can have the five best is you have to have someone who's extremely selfless like Bear Munford is going to be named mm-hmm. the cap this year in a week or so. And, you know, that kid deciding to go from left tackle where he's preseason All-American projection to left guard is something that's almost unheard of, um, especially in today's society. So that kid's given up the spot where he excelled. Uh, he didn't give him a sack last year at left tackle, and now he's going to 
bump into left guard. They're going to kick Nick Petit Frere to left tackle. Uh, Nick's been probably the best player on the team during training camp so far. And then that enables them to bring DeWan Jones in at right tackle. And DeWan is maybe the most talented one of them out of all of them. He's not the most consistent, but he's getting more and more consistent every day. So I'm excited as can be to see this offensive line versus Minnesota. But, yeah, I, I think that this is how it's going to shake out just because they're trying to get the five most talented horses in the lineup. And I think that they've settled on the lineup that they failed yesterday. And what does that say about DeWan Jones that they're, they're making these changes and the guys are willing to make these changes about the 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 level that he's risen to to, to find a way to get him in the lineup? I think it says a lot about DeWan. It says even more about Sarah Munford. But, you know, DeWan, you know, started to take his job seriously. I mean, he's a kid that can easily be a first-round pick if he applied himself and, you know, is consistent. You know, the only difference between, you know, a great player and a guy that doesn't make it is consistency. Like, you see the guy that does it every single time or as close every single time as you can get. DeWan is getting there. He is, he is an impressive specimen of a human being, and he really – uh, you know, when he, when he hits guys, I mean, he, he, he shocked them. I mean, in a fair shot, double team of these guys, they're setting them into orbit when they put their hands on them. And it's, it's impressive to watch. And his pass protection has actually been outstanding. And given his length, his arm length, and his overall size, like, you can't really bull rush him and you can't really get around him. So he's really tough to go against. And I think that that's, you know, at the end of the day, you just want to. Who are the five guys that are the hardest for the D-line to go against? I think this is the five that they've settled on right now. Kirk, it wouldn't officially be an Ohio State University football interview this preseason if we didn't ask you about the quarterback situation. What are your thoughts on the battle as Ryan Day gets closer to making his decision? Well, I mean, at this point, it would be a humongous upset if it's not D.J. Stroud. I think that, uh, you know, he's 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 been the best line camp uh, by far. Takes the first snap in most drills, so that kind of you know he's the starter. I also, uh, you know, the wild card in this whole thing is Quinn Ewers. I think Quinn is the most talented quarterback in that room, and I really don't think it's very close. And you know, he's he reclassified. He's going to show up. It looks like it's going to be Monday now. Initially, he thought it might be Thursday, but you know, he's finishing up his last class, and he has to get the transcript process and get enrolled and. That takes a day or two. Mm-hmm. So initially, it's not Thursday. I'm thinking it's going to end up being Monday, uh, unless they you know magically get everything done. I think he's finishing up the last five today. So, um, but it's going to be real interesting. I think it's it's going to end up being Stroud, and I think Quinn Ewers by midseason could could be the backup, and one of those other guys might actually be gone. You know, in terms of so it's going to be fascinating to watch how this shakes out. Kirk Barton from BuckeyeScoop.com joining us on the AmeriFirst Home Mortgage Hotline. And, and you mentioned Quinn Ewers. What do you make of, of that in, entire situation um, where obviously he, he's doing what's best for, for him and his family, but is that something that um, he'll look at later on down the line maybe and, and question, or is this something that he's the first of many who, who might end up doing exactly this same thing? I, I think he's the first of many. I think this is going to be the new way that kids do business. And I frankly can't blame him. I think it'll be even more prevalent at a position that's high injury, high contact, like running back. You know, where you have, you know, if this was Trey Henderson and you're going into your senior year, you're like, well, do I want to take another 350 carries in high school or do I want to go 
make a couple hundred grand and start right. playing at Ohio State. It's like get to the NFL, you know, as a twenty year old instead of twenty one year old with less mileage on my on my tires, so to speak. I think this is gonna be a big time trend. But for Quinn it's it's you know, as a quarterback it's an absolute no brainer because he can't you know, if he doesn't play at all this year at Ohio State, he doesn't take any hits. He's gonna make seven figures easily. Um, he gets, and the most important thing is he gets to learn from Ryan Day a year earlier. He gets to develop chemistry with his wide receivers, you know, Becky Abuka, Mark Harrison Jr., Jack Jigba, these kids that are freshmen and sophomore eligibility that he's going to be thrown to in a year, you know, when he started here. So it's, you know, I, I think that, you know, learning from Ryan Day, learning the system, getting your body right by Mickey Marotti, I think all those things play a factor into this. And, you know, I, I'm thrilled for the kid. I think that he's he's a fantastic kid. I actually spoke with him last night, and you know, he couldn't be a nicer kid, a yes-sir, no-sir type kid. Um, and he's just coming to work. He hasn't promised anything. He's just coming coming to work. You know, he's going he's gonna to push it as hard as he can and give it his best shot and see you know, if the chips fall away to me. But you know, Iron Sharp is dying in that quarterback room, and whoever comes out, out of there as the starter is going to be a really, really good player. Kirk, it was one year ago today, as we mentioned prior to, to, to having you join us, and thanks for joining us while you're driving. I know that's not necessarily convenient, but it was one year ago today that the Big Ten announced they were canceling the season. Take us back to that day when you heard the news. What went through your head? What was your initial reaction? Well, I mean, obviously my initial thought was, man, I really took the great year to start an Ohio State football website. It's the first time they've ever canceled football in the history of the <laughs> so that was great. But, you know, we, we weathered that storm because we – so we opened for business in June, and we didn't have any recruiting camps because of COVID. And then, you know, we almost didn't have football. And then they brought back football, and then they canceled it again, and then they brought it back again. And it was, it was a very bizarre year. But it actually, you know, we made lemonade out of the lemons, and we had huge days on our message board, which was great for our ad rates and for keeping the lights on. But I, you know, it was just a stunning ordeal. Like the whole thing was, it was stunning to me because. You know, I, I knew that the SEC was not going to stop. I knew that the SEC was going to keep, you know, I mean, they had a major opportunity to, when they say it just means more and football's more important in the South, they had a major opportunity to flex that because, you know, we we wilted and weathered and acted like the world was going to end and they just kept on pressing along. And, you know, I'll, I'll be darned if they didn't win another national title last year. And, you know, our, our, our guys, you know, were... You know, they didn't have a training camp. They got jerked around a lot. They were basically locked in their apartments for six months. I mean, it was like they were in prison almost. And, you know, it was it was just stunning that the Big Ten and the SEC were in the same you know, world. You know, you couldn't believe that, like, one conference was like, yeah, we're going to have business as usual, and the other one's like, the whole world's ending. We can't do anything. And, you know, stay in your house for you know, the next six months and don't leave. I guess. It was it was a stunning, stunning uh, couple of months last year. So, Kirk, how did the how did the documentary kind of come about, um, and how many of of the guys from Buckeye Scoop are participating, and what are some of those kind of untold stories that that, that we're going to find out about with the, the Fight for Football documentary? Well, we were approached uh, by we you know, initially uh, Tom or and Tony Gerdman who are fantastic contributors on Buckeye Scoop. They were approached by documentary company and they asked if we'd be interested in participating and receiving uh, you know an executive producer credit for the, the documentary. We helped, you know, get Jonathan Cooper and 
Mandy Wade and Jonathan Cooper's mother on the on the, the documentary. And we all we all give interviews for it. I, mean, I I I'm not sure. You know, obviously you know, there's going to be a lot on the cutting room floor, but I you know, they interviewed our entire staff that is local. You know, there's there's about four or five of us that live around here, and you know we all went down and got interviewed and. I, you know, it was exciting. It was something where, you know, it's, it was a, a story that needed to be told. And it was, you know, something that I, I think that, you know, some of these parents have a lot of pride in the fact that they, they fought and they, you know, they showed up, they, you know, we got the video of them protesting at, at the Rotunda, at the Horseshoe and, you know, in, in Chicago. And it was, it was just funny because, you know, at the time everyone laughed at him. Oh, look at these, these crazy parents trying to fight for their kids' livelihood and, that you know, it ends up working. So you know they're really heroes. But uh, you know we just wanted to reflect that and and really illuminate the uh, the overall incompetency of Kevin Warren and how he should be replaced as the commissioner. Because I mean it's I mean there's people that are bad at their jobs, and then there's like this guy who just had a new president last year and just being a total scumbag, just being not transparent with the parents. Having no rationale for any of his of his dealings, and uh, you know, and then just basically being a coward and hiding. So we wanted to make sure that you know we were very clear with how we thought about him. And frankly, there's people in some very high places that said we didn't go high, we didn't go hard enough on the guy. So I yeah, went pretty hard on him. But there's some people that said, yeah, you could have even gone even harder on the guy. So, but I uh, I'm excited. I'm proud of the team. You know, Mark Gibbons done a ton of work. Tony and Tom's done a ton of work. And I'm just proud of the whole crew for, uh, you know, coming together. And we're excited. We're going to unveil it on Monday the 30th at 7 o'clock at the Lennox and start to sell some tickets now. I have a feeling we might sell off pretty fast, but we've already sold, you know, half the theater out an hour. So I think that sell out. It's going to be a great night. Well, Kirk, thanks so much for all your time. Thanks for your expertise and your willingness to share with us. Congratulations and good luck on the documentary and best of luck with Buckeye Scoop going forward. Look forward to reading your coverage and hopefully joining you with some chats later in the year. Yeah, and, and to me, you know, thank you for having us. Anytime you need any of the people from the Scoop, you know, let me know and I can reach out to them. I, I obviously know a lot of our members, but we're at your disposal anytime you need us and we appreciate you thinking of us uh, today uh, for, for some time with you guys. That's Kirk Barton joining us on the AmeriFirst Home Mortgage Hotline there to tell us about the Fight for Football documentary that uh, is being released on, uh, like he said, Monday, August 30th. And I watched the trailer earlier today, and uh, there are some interesting little tidbits there of, um, you know, basically the timeline of they say, you know, they release the schedule, then say, hey, the season's canceled. And then um, it comes back around that eight Nebraska players basically saved the season by suing the Big Ten, and magically they didn't want their emails out in public about how they decided and you know whether it was unanimous or not unanimous and whether there was a vote or wasn't a vote uh it sounds like it's going to be pretty interesting and, and maybe not uh, something that kevin warren's gonna want to want to be watching well you mentioned kevin warren and I, and I did not research kevin warren's background before today's show i couldn't talk to you about his career pathway and, and, and trajectory of things i i can say this with a fair level of confidence kevin warren probably was accomplishing a, a part of a lifetime goal in being named a commissioner of a Power Five conference. And I can't imagine he was on the job for more than 25 minutes before he thought, I, I, I wished for this. I, right. I can't it, even it, imagine. 
you, you, somebody lays down something super important in front of you, and you got to make that that first decision. And I don't, I don't envy the guy coming in during, uh, you know, a, a global pandemic. That's not a that's not a fun spot to be in. But um, to, and I, I've I've mentioned this on Twitter at, at the time during Big Ten Media Days that I've grown very wary of people in my life who can't admit that they are wrong about something. And at Big Ten Media Days, when he says, "If I could do it all over again, I'd do the exact same thing," are you stupid? Are you dumb? Did you not see how everything went the last year? You would do everything exactly the same. That's not a great answer. So that le- like I was, I tried to give the guy the benefit of the doubt for a very long time, and then when you just blatantly kind of flash your incompetence, that's hard to ignore. Well, I and I and I don't know what percentage of working in that line of work is about the politics of the job. Well, I'm, yeah, I'm sure. I mean, a lot it's a that. sizable percentage, but. It just feels to me like it shifts to 100% of your approach to the job is about politics when you can't utter the words, that may have been a mistake. Yeah. I mean, that's what politicians won't do that. They, right. they won't. Refuse to. They, and, and maybe they maybe it's, it's because you don't put blood in the water with sharks that can be the media people. But I just feel like that job is a certain percentage political and every job, whatever it is, whether politics is a big part of it or not we're still dealing with people and it's still about relationships and it's and it's about leadership and and there is a stark line in my mind between what it means to commit to the political part of a job and to embrace the leadership portion of a job they're not the same thing even though they they are related right it is incredibly political that you've got 14 athletic directors 14 presidents chancellors whatever 14 football coaches 14 basketball coaches that are all pulling in different directions and it's your job to get them in on the same page, but also I think part of his job is to be that lightning rod and, and to take that that guff that any other president or chancellor was going to get, and they deserve some some of the the blowback too. But to come out and say in Big Ten media days, "Hey, I wouldn't do anything different," is just flat out stupid, and it makes me question your complete ineptitude going forward at a time where college sports is changing dramatically literally day by day in front of our eyes and you've got somebody who is leading a conference that a lot of people care about and think you've got a a bumbling buffoon (laughs) leading at a time where you need strong leadership well we would be foolish to think that his leadership won't be tested in the days ahead because the pandemic is still the pandemic and it'll be interesting to see but that documentary will be a fascinating watch the fight for football fight for football uh, fight for football dot com i believe is the if you'd like to learn more about release date on august 3rd now we kind of blew through our 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 designated time for a break there do we want to go ahead and take our don jenkins oh yeah we should should probably take a don jenkins all right we'll take a don jenkins jeweler timeout when we come back we'll get back around the water cooler just as we do at the end of the show you're listening to cookie and the monster on lima sports radio 93 one the fan cookie and the monster final segment garrett time to get around that water cooler you could hear the glugging, glug, 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 glug. <laughs> of all the things I thought I would read on Twitter today, John, J.R. Smith, former Cavalier, joining the North Carolina A&T golf team was not one of them. He apparently has enrolled at North Carolina A&T University to pursue a degree and is also waiting on the NCAA to sort out his eligibility so he can join the golf team. You have a popular liberal arts degree. Oh, yeah, right, right. Your general studies there <laughs> that I'm sure. Uh, can you imagine, first of all, being in class with J.R. Smith? Like, how do you not stare at that guy and do the LeBron 
you know, the squinty face, point at the basket with two hands. Like, what are you doing? I got to think if you're a guy that golfs at North Carolina A&T, though, you're thinking there could be some pretty sweet fringe benefits for oh, the golf oh my team gosh. on JR's dime. Right, your, <laughs> your, your ganja level is going up exponentially <laughs> at North Carolina A&T if JR Smith well, is joining Well, I suppose it's possible he's got enough change in the bank that he could buy travel suits oh, and right. you're may, getting, maybe a bus. Yeah, you're getting new clubs. <laughs> you're getting you're getting new golf clubs. You're getting new clubs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you're, yeah, you're getting all sorts of swag. You're probably getting to meet LeBron James. We're being like, let's be honest. You're going to golf with LeBron James at some point. We need a motivational speech. Hey, it's a busy sports night tonight. If you are so inclined, we've got uh, the A's in the Tribe right here, 635 on the fan. But 6 o'clock, the Cavs have a summer league game. That's on ESPN2. And at 9 o'clock, Elida Product, Dakota Mathias, playing with the Utah Jazz in the summer league, will be on ESPN3, taking on the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, not bad for an early August Midweek night on the sports calendar. I'll be trying to catch some of that and wish you the best of luck this evening. Enjoy your time. We will see you back here. I will be AWOL tomorrow because <laughs> I've got to time off. I've got to do my day job tomorrow from noon to seven. Garrett will take you home and through the program tomorrow night. We appreciate you joining us here on Sports Radio 93 One The Fan. This is Cookie and the Monster. We will be back tomorrow.